Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this leadership series where we're talking about eight qualities of great leaders. Hey, we all lead someone somewhere and we hope the quality that we talk about today will help you lead better tomorrow. Before you sign off, don't forget to check in at branchlife.church. We'd love to hear from you and stay to the end of this talk. I've got some more information before you go. I hope you enjoyed today's leadership quality. But we're so excited that you guys are here to continue in our series called Lead. We are looking at the book of Nehemiah, which Josh already said, if you don't have your Nehemiah journal, this is important because I'm going to ask you to read one word today out of this and you're all going to participate in it. So if you don't have this, you need to get it or open up your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. So we're continuing this series called Lead, which we're looking at the, the eight qualities of influential leaders. And the whole point of this is... We all have a God-given influence to leverage for the kingdom impact. My favorite verse in the Bible, I'm going to get it out of the way right off the start, Ephesians 2.10, for we are His, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to step into. That word workmanship is my favorite word. And, well, there's a lot of words I really like in there, but I like that word, right? It, it means he made you the specific tool, his masterpiece to accomplish exactly what he wants you to do. And in this series, this is it. Taking our influence that God's given us and leveraging it for the kingdom. The good works, it's bringing Christ into whatever situation that you're in. And last week, Josh started off with our first quality, our first point, and it's this. Influential leaders see what others do not and have hearts that break when others don't care. And God shapes us each differently with different eyes to see different problems. He shapes us with different hearts to be broken at different needs and uh, different situations. And we saw this with Nehemiah because he was heartbroken over his people. This week was crazy with the manhunt going on. It caused a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. If you were in one mile here, what did you do to your doors at night? Locked it. Right? What did you do to your windows? Locked it. You wanted to be secure. You knew there was danger rolling around, so you wanted to have your windows shut, your doors locked. What if you didn't have any doors or any windows? How would you feel about the dude in your backyard? You'd be pretty nervous. Right? It, it went so far to the, to the point here, and this is what Nehemiah was broken over. He was broken over because his people Israel, God's people Israel, since his sin were cast out far away from the land, they were, they were conquered. And now they're coming back. Everyone's excited to come back to Jerusalem. Right? And, and Nehemiah gets this guy that comes back to, to him where he's in Babylon. He goes, hey, how are they doing? And they said, he said this. The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as he heard these words, 
As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. God gave Nehemiah eyes to see a need. What was the need? Israel. In Jerusalem, the wall was broken down. He, he was like, we, we need the protection. I want my people to be able to worship God freely. I want them to be able to sleep at night. And his heart just broke to the point of mourning and weeping. So here's the question as we start today. What's your wall? Like I said before, God has created us as his workmanship. He created us all different. All of us have different eyes. All of us have different hearts. And we see different needs and we break for certain areas. So today as we sit here and we look at the prayer Nehemiah prays the first half of it, I want you to put in the front of your mind what is your wall. We just talked about some new babies being born. You know, these are, there's a new father and a father for the first time of a boy. I think girls are harder, right? But the first time. They have their hearts, I'm sure, broken. And their eyes are really fixed on this child. I know as a father that my heart is always towards my children. My heart is always uh, uh, broken for them because they're growing in a world that does not favor it well. Put it that way. You got to be cautious for everything. You got to be cautious for guys in the woods running away. You got to be cautious for creepy vans going down the road. You got to be cautious for YouTube because you can't let your kids just watch anything because some kind of junk's going to pop up there. You got to be careful of what society's putting in on it. And when I start feeling that, I get something in my stomach that just goes, ugh. How many of you ever had the, ugh? That's anxiety, right? That's stress. Just, ugh, when you think about it. Maybe you're a teacher. We were at a soccer practice yesterday, and we were talking to this one teacher. She said, I have 27 kindergartners in my class. Ooh, I got two first and kindergartners in my class, and I'm begging my wife all the time to be home. Kindergartners are nuts, and she's expected to do all this, and she's expected to take the influence that God has given her and love on these kids. How are you supposed to love on 27 kindergartners that are running around like crazy? How am I supposed to love the Christ in a school where I'm not even allowed to say the word of Christ like I'm supposed to? How am I supposed to get through to each one of these kids and that wall, they're seeing this, this wall that these kids are what my heart breaks for and it piles up, piles up. Maybe it's a neighbor that's lost. Maybe it's a friend or a family member that's lost. And you're going, I need to, I'm in their life to bring them Christ, to show them Christ. How am I going to do it? But they, they are adamantly opposed to church. They are adamantly opposed to the gospel. They are like the farthest gone as you possibly can go. It's funny. I have a friend here that we thought that, and now he's here, right? But it, 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 far as you go, and you come up with all the excuses. Maybe it's a broken relationship in your life. Like, you know, as a, uh, as a person, you're supposed to guide these people in the way that the Lord, but there's a broken relationship. Like, they're mad at me. Right? They don't want anything to talk with me. And, and how am I going to repair that relationship where every time I see them, we just get mad at each other? How am I going to show them the love of Christ when everything against me in that moment, and this wall just seems bigger and bigger and bigger? Maybe it's the mental health crisis that's going around the community right now ever since COVID. Maybe your eyes see that need and your heart breaks for these people that they, they, they need to realize that they are wonderfully and fearfully made. They're not a cosmic accident. God loves them. And they're struggling with this stuff. And you're like, how in the world am I going to be able to reach all this community? What has God got? I, I can't do it. And you start getting this. Uh, and if you get too big, 
You get apathy. I kept saying empathy in my notes, but it's apathy. You just, it's too overwhelming. It's too big. What's the point? What's the point? I mean, I'm, I'm going to have five more kids in kindergarten next week. What's the point? I can't do for one that I wanted 35, right? What's the point? It's too big. It's bigger than me and that, ugh, or it's, uh, whatever, right? Maybe it's stepping into a role of leadership. Maybe it's leadership at church. We're multiplying like crazy, and we need people that, that are going to step in their leadership roles. And we're asking people to step up in this leadership, and they go, well, I, I can't do that. You know, what, what do I know? I might, I might not go to school for all of this, right? This is bigger. How am I supposed to stand up there and preach when all I've done is cut grass my whole life? That's me. When you say, like, Josh, like, hey, you're preaching, you know what I get? Ugh. I get, ugh. Right? Luckily, I don't do, uh, whatever. Right? But I get to, ugh. Maybe stepping into, like, a kid's ministry role. We need teachers to teach our kids. You know, most children get saved before the age of 18. You want to talk about the greatest field of evangelism, it's before they're 18. And every Sunday, we have like 100 kids in our programs that come through, that come here and need teachers. And sometimes we go, I am a teacher, but I got to teach the 27 kindergartners all week. How am I supposed to get more energy to do that? How am I going to step into that, that small group? I'm not a good person talking in front of people. How, how, how am I supposed to get these people to come in together? So I share the Lord. I just, you make excuses. You get the problem so big, that wall's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And just get to, ugh. Imagine Nehemiah. He's doing that. He's prepared. He's like, I got to go to Jerusalem. I'm a cupbearer. My life is meaningless to this king. I drink the cup to make sure it's not poisoned before the king drinks it. I'm disposable. And my heart is broken right now for my people Israel. And my eyes see a need, and how am I going to do it? And today, in the face of that overwhelming wall, that overwhelming situation, we get to look at the first half of Nehemiah's prayer. And so, as we get going, let's pray one more time. Lord, I thank you. I praise you for who you are. Lord, I ask that, that in this time that you meet with us, that these be your words, not my words, I, that you get me out of the way of this and that people's lives be impacted and understand the true power of prayer and who you are. In your name we pray, amen. So in my head, when I see a situation, I see a wall, guess what? It's time to get moving. There's stuff to get done. We gotta get ready to go. Nehemiah sees in, this is what he does. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. That's the heart of a leader. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Yeah, we got a wall to build, guys. We got this, this, this. No, he didn't say that. He didn't jump on YouTube and said, how do I build a wall? Right? He didn't sign up for a college course and say, this is how I'm going to do it. He didn't take the next step. He didn't start buying the F-350 with the utility bed to get his supplies down the road to Jerusalem. He didn't sit there and start getting his, working out so his strength was good. He didn't start eating protein. Actually, the last thing, he, he stopped. He fasted. Fasted means to go without. 
And in this situation, Nehemiah chose to go without food. I did this not too long ago, and I got to tell you, I didn't know how much food I ate. Right? Every like half hour, I was like, ooh, like I'm hungry. And what he's doing is saying, I'm not going to rely on the things I normally rely on to bring me strength, to bring me security. I'm going to go without. I'm going to set it aside, and every time I feel that desire to pursue that, I'm going to pursue you. Every time I feel the desire to look at my phone and check social media, I'm going to do without. I'm going to desire to go talk to God. Every time I would go for a chocolate chip cookie, I'm going to stop. God. Right? It wasn't action. It was surrender in that moment. And then he prays. He sits there and he communicates with God. He finds it so important. Every great journey starts with the first step. Even whatever you're going to do, it takes the first step. Influential leaders know it starts with prayer. Nehemiah prayed. Elijah, the prophet, he prayed. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. You want to talk about a feat? How do you stop the rain? If God's calling you, do you pray? Jesus prayed. Before setting out onto redeeming the whole broken world and going to the cross, you could find Jesus on his knees in prayer, in the garden, asking God for the power to do what he's going to do. Prayer is the first step. And this is what they knew. Prayer is the pathway for God's power to get to your path. Look at what John says here. Prayer is the link in the chain that connects God's sovereignty, who God is, to our responsibility. Charles Spurgeon says, He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. See, prayer, prayer is how we abide with God. Prayer is how we walk in step with what God has called us to do. Prayer is the lifeblood of getting who God is into the situation he's calling us to be in. Look at this verse in, uh, in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it's that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what that's saying? That God is divine, the source of what brings the power to produce the fruit, and you're the branch. And I got some news for you guys. You're not even a branch, you're a twig. I know I am, right? And apart from being connected to God, you can do nothing. God is giving you eyes to see and hearts that are broken for something, but apart from him, you can do nothing. We're twigs. But when we pray, when we focus on who God is and, and we focus back on the divine and we walk in step with who God is, God gives you the power to produce the fruit from who he is. So here's the first part of Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah 1, 4 through 5. So he continued in fasting and praying. So that's a, he continued. This isn't an eight verse prayer. Nehemiah doesn't say these eight verses before he ate and Kent moved on. This was a season. 
This was many days, and he was weeping and mourning and praying out to God. It wasn't just this magical eight verses or whatever we're going to look at. It was a season where he did it. And then this is like the last uh, prayer. Like you've got to go to a test. You've been praying about it. You've been going, and right before you go, you go, dear God, help me. It's an effective prayer a lot of times, but it's at the season. And this prayer summarizes the whole past season of what Nehemiah has been praying. And he's about to go before a king as a cupbearer and see what God's going to do and provide for him to, to do the work God has called him to do. And it starts off with this. I said to the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The first thing he does is say, God in heaven. This is a title. This is what he's saying. He's saying, God, you're the top of the pecking order, man. If you go through the lowest power in the world and all the way up, all the way up to the next one, to the next one, to the next one, like we go through our court system, you got like the little courts, the bigger courts, the supreme courts, right? And then the president and the congress, like whatever. He's saying, you at the top of the top of the top. Not only are you God over heaven and earth, there is nothing that you can't do. He's saying, God, you are. This is who I'm praying to. I'm not praying to a, anything else except for the absolute supreme authority of the universe. And he goes on, and you're great and you're awesome. I tell my kids they're great sometimes. I tell my kids they're awesome sometimes. But it's like I'm going to double down on it. I'm not just going to say you're great. I'm going to say you're great and you're awesome. I'm going to boast. I'm like, you are worth great and awesome. If there was more words, we should keep saying it about God. Who keeps his covenant. He says, God, you're never changing. You always keep your word. If you said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So this is the first part of the prayer we're going to look at. When you pray, just praise God for who he is. That's it. Praise God for who he is. My God knows all things. So there's nothing that he doesn't see coming down the road. One of my hardest times in life, you know what I took comfort in? Is that God's not taken by surprise. He's not like, oh, they made a turn. Didn't see that coming. Nope, he knew it. Right? He's all present. You know what that means? He's everywhere all the time. There's nothing that escapes what he can see, the good or the bad. He knows exactly what's going on. And then my faith, he's all-powerful. There is nothing, there is nothing that he can't do. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. There is no wall, there is no circumstance, there is no relationship, there is no addiction, there is no trouble that you have in your life that is bigger than God. Think about this. Everything in your life is bigger than you. Nothing in your life is bigger than God. And when we get these anxieties, like, oh, I got a face, ugh, right? Think about who God is. And when, what is your wall in light of who God is? In light of Nehemiah, that was a pretty stinking big wall to build around Jerusalem and you're hundreds of miles away and you have no authority with stuff. But to God, that's just like, you know, peanuts, bro, peanuts, right? Oh, it says here, be still and know I am God. And see, where we find out who God is isn't like Talladega Nights and Ricky Bobby. 
All right. Whoever just laughed, I know I get along with pretty well. All right. There's a scene in this thing where they're praying to God, like they're praying for a meal. And he's like, dear Lord, seven ounces, baby Jesus. They're like, whoa, I need you to do this prayer good. And another guy's like, yeah. You know, well, I like my, my Jesus to have a tuxedo shirt on and a mullet because I like him to know, like, I'm serious, but I like to party. Right? That's not God. God is not a fiction of your imagination. He's not qualities that you just come up with. Oh, my God would be this. Or my God would do this. Or my God has this character. You know where we find who God is? We find it in his word, the Bible. You want to pray? You want to know who God is? You've got to read the Bible. Or you're going to be praying to six-ounce Ricky Bobby Jesus. All right? That's not who we're praying to. And as you read the Bible and you're praying to God, you're thinking about, man, you know, how, how in the world is Branch Life going to be able to reach this community? We're talking about growing and building, but that means millions of dollars. How, you know what my God does? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. How can I fix this relationship that, that is so complex and so just, oh, we always fight and argue. You know what? God can change the heart of someone like that. God can orchestrate anything he will at any time. And when you read God's word, you see him do it over and over and over and over again. There is nothing that God cannot do. But also in that Bible, you learn that God's holy. That God's perfect, that God is just. And as you rift your hands and praise for who he is, man, I, I go, who am I? You are, you are so high above me. Who am I that you would even consider me? Your perfection, your holiness, your glory. Who, who is man that you would even consider me? when you read that, you go from a, an act of praise and worship because you are higher than I am, but then I am not that. I am not worthy. And this is what this next word that Nehemiah says just blows my mind sometimes. He says, let. Man, do you got some guts, Nehemiah? Well, what do you know that you can say a word to that God? Who are you that you can even look upon him and ask anything, even if it is just let? Especially going on, continuing. Look what he says, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. He's saying, God, yo, my people are jacked up. We mess up all the time. There's nothing we do is right. And not only that, we, we have sinned and we've sinned against not each other, but you, God, a holy God, a perfect God, an all-powerful God. We choose not to recognize you as that, and we choose to go do our own thing. Even my I and my father's household have sinned. We have acted corruptly. We didn't even act just like in ignorance. We acted corruptly. We knew who God was, and we chose to do our own thing anyways. That's what he's saying. Against you... Against you and have kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded for your servant, Moses. When we pray, this is our next word, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to recognize 
who God is and who we're not. We are a broken people. And we need to confess that we are broken. We need to say, God, I am sorry. I have messed up. There's nothing good in me, Lord. I keep messing up, and I'm sorry for it. There's two things. Being humble, you know what that helps out with? Your pride. There's, I, I don't have the technology in my human capacity to do this, but there's this awesome video going around the Internet. On t- uh, I don't have TikTok, the Instagram and the Facebook thing, right? Of this little kid, he's about this tall, imagine like a three-year-old with, uh, with glasses on, and he gets given these like Hulk gloves and a cape, right? So picture this little kid, and he puts it on, right? And all of a sudden, he thinks he's the most powerful dude in the world. He literally looks at the gloves and goes, oh! And in a flash, he turns and runs as fast as he can towards the window because he's going to bust out of it. And he hits this thing and just pancakes like a mosquito on a windshield, right? And just falls to the ground. God knows that we're like that little kid, right? That if we see something good and we think it's in our own strength, that we think that somehow we had the strength to do it in ourselves, that we're going to be that little kid and be like, woo, and run and smack the wall. But when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we don't have false hope in our own strength because of Hulk gloves or because of good looks or good personality, right? Amen would have worked. I don't know, right? But when we don't have our strength, we focus on who God is. And then you know what? It says, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he'll lift you up. How do you humble yourself through the Lord? You pray to God. You pray. Get you in a right you confess. You know, if confessing is one of the freeing things you can do. If you confess, you, you know what this does? It makes it like the hammer's not going to drop on you. Right? Like, uh, we already talked about who God is. He's known everything you did. He knew everything you will do. He know everything you're doing right now, the thoughts in your mind. He knows it all. But when we confess our sins to God, it frees us. It's not for another shoe to drop. And, and we got a faithful God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's saying, you confess it, I'm going to forgive you. But you need to recognize that you're, you're a sinner. Uh, there's a guy I work through with discipleship, brand new Christian, right? And I get on a phone call with him the other night. I go, how are you doing? He goes, expletive, I messed up. I said, whoa, <laughs> all right. I said, well, what'd you do? He said, ah, some guy pushed me, so I smacked him. About to get kicked out of school. I was like, holy smokes, we got some work to do, buddy. Right? And talking to him. And after the end of that, his genuine honestness, and he was in remorse. He's like, Alex, I messed up. I'm trying to live for Christ. And here I do. It's like, I smacked someone. My anger got the best of me. What kind of representation of that? And I said, look, God knew you were going to do it. God already, when you confess it to him, he's already forgiven you. It doesn't disqualify you from being a servant of God, which we're going to look at. And I said, look, I still love you. And you know what his takeaway from that whole thing after confession is? I can still mess up and God still loves me. That's confidence. Knowing that you can lay yourself bare before God and he is still loving you. And it frees you up. And he says, Alex, I'm just happy you love me too. 
I said, bro, it's more important that God loves you. But, but he, we can humble ourselves before the Lord. And then he just sits there, man, and he says, just like that guy on the discipleship call I was having, he says, I just messed up. This is what, this is what Nehemiah is saying. He's like, Israel, we messed up. There's nothing I do to deserve anything. And this is his next part. Remember. Remember what? Remember your command. He didn't start making excuses. He said, God, if, if the woman didn't give me the apple, I wouldn't have sinned. He didn't say that. He didn't say if Israel was in a better economic system, they would have been all right. He didn't say that if I wasn't tempted in this way, or if I was in a different situation, or make any other excuse for anything. He just says, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I'm done. My only hope right now is that you remember that you, what you commanded. Remember the words that you command your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. Well, that still doesn't sound too good. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're getting what you deserve. How about that? Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you said it was. So if you have your Nehemiah journals, this is your part of the sermon right here. I need you to open it up to Nehemiah 1.9. So Josh did a little bit of verse 4 last week. Josh told me I had 4 to 8, and he took some of my verse 4. So now I'm going to tell you some of Josh's verse from next week today. All right? I love Josh. All right, so this is what's going to happen. I'm going to read verse 8, and at the end of it, you're going to read the first word of 9. You can circle this, you can highlight it in your, in your Bible, whatever you want to do, but I'm going to read. Remember the words that you have commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. All right, we could definitely do better than that. All right. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But there's more. There's more. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. There's a but in that sentence. There's a catch. And this is what the next point in prayer that we can do, is recognize God's grace in our life is a gift. It's a gift. Nehemiah completely understood that they messed up. But it's only because God chose to love them that anything good can come of this. This is the whole gospel right here. For all have sinned. We have all turned away from God. We have all went our own way. When God had a design for us to do, we chose to do our own things. We didn't follow instruction, and we did that. It's called sin every time we break from God's design. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just some of us, not just a couple of us, all of us. We are like Israel, we're like Nehemiah, we're jacked up. For the wages of sin, you know what it was deserved? God told Israel that if you don't keep my commands, I'm going to scatter you across the world. The Bible says if we sin, the wages are death. The same power we're trying to talk to, to connect us with through prayer and abiding in Christ, the power to do whatever God's called you to do, eternal separation from that. That's what sin, that's the wages of sin is. 
but there's that great word again. For the wages of sin is death, but because of who God is, the free gift of life, free gift of God is eternal life. Oh, it's so awesome. And we think about it, and we're coming to pray. We got to realize that there's only reason that we even are able to talk to God, to, to even think about God, to even have the inkling to turn to God is because of who God is and not because of who we are. And this is the gospel. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's God, he's ruler of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In that instance, Jesus takes all the consequences of your sins and he puts it on Jesus on the cross. And he died a death that only he could die for a world that was so lost and so broken. And in that moment, God no longer sees you as a sinner, but he sees you as Jesus Christ's blood. The perfect son of God. He takes his righteousness and he puts it on us so that Nehemiah has the thing to say to ask God anything with let. That's the gospel. There is nothing we can do to connect us to God except for what God has already done through Jesus Christ. And even when we pray that, like today, if you've never done that in the quietness of your heart, you can just say, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm broken. I need you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I want to live my life for you. And when you do that, not only do you get to pray to a God, but the power of the one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you. So your wall is nothing compared to who God is and to who you are in God. And we can pray with confidence. We can pray with confidence. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. When you become a, a, a believer in Jesus Christ, not only, I mean, my son can ask me a lot more than Luke can ask me. And I'll do it for him. Because I'm a child of God. For all the promises of God are fine in their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. When we become a child of God, all the promises of God, like I will never leave you or forsake you, right? I know the plans I have for you that type of situation where, where God is leading us. He's pro providing the steps for us. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus done for good works. This is where your influence it's coming in. This is where you're leading. This is where your heart is broken at a time, right? That God has prepared beforehand for you to step into. And we know because of Jesus Christ and who he is that what God has prepared for you, the God that is all-powerful, the God that knows all things, that is everywhere, that loves us, that is holy, that is just unbelievable, has gone before you in whatever God has called you to do, he went before Nehemiah. He's going before you. And in that power, he's already uh, provided the way for it to be done. But you have to step in obedience. And what that is, is abiding in who God is. And how do we do that? We talk to God through prayer. We talk to God. We read who he is in the Bible. And we pray. 
And it keeps us in line with who God is. Look at some of these verses. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. There's a promise right there. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Man, it's a great verse. When you realize, like, like, there's a verse that Paul talks about, in my weakness, I am strong. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when we pray, we realize our weakness. And in that moment, you need to ask for help. Not because of who you are, but because of who God is. And it gets us in a situation we can give him the glory. So in that moment, in my weakness, you are strong. I humble myself before you, God. Use me the way you're going to use me. I want to abide, I want to pray, I want to talk, I want to walk with you. Reading your word and seeing what you would have me do, I want to walk with it in that we can walk in the power of Christ. And that power, you know what your wall is? This is what Jesus says about your wall and you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through God, you can do exactly what God's calling you to do. No matter how much anxiety you have, Know how many apathy because of how big the situation is? Just because of Christ in you, whatever it is, if it's raising children, if it's teaching 30 kids in a kindergarten class, if it's being a, a business owner that loves people, if it's your neighbor down the road that is so estranged to you that you need to get the gospel to them, if it's your loved ones that hear the gospel over and over again, and don't understand it. I can do all things through myself. No. Nope. Through my good looks? Absolutely not. Through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus looked at them. That's why I was looking at you. Jesus looking at you right now. He's saying, look, I, your wall is right in front of you. Right? You think it's impossible. But look what he says. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How awesome is that? So influential leaders pray. They understand that prayer enables leaders to lead in God's power, not their own. And that is such a relief. When you pray and you abide with God, God enables you to lead in his power, not your own power, which is really good because the walls are really big and they seem really drastic. But in his power, we can do it. So here's my question. What's your wall? Josh is going to come up in a second here and he's going to talk about how, you know, it's better than just talking about it, it's doing it. Right? Instead of just hearing a thing on prayer, let's actually do some prayer. But this is my question. Do you realize who you're talking to? Who God is? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Have you recognized that there's nothing good in you and that you're a sinner and you've confessed that to God? Lord, help my unbelief. Do you have confidence in knowing the finished work of Jesus Christ has made it so that you little twig can be stuck to that big red tree in Yosemite Park? I'm talking like you have the power of Almighty God that goes before you. 
Are you doing that today? I'm going to have Josh come up here and close us out. I want you to grab one of these three tools that you have in your hands. We're going to take what Pastor Alex did, and we're going to start putting it into action right now with what we're calling 14 and 14. That's 14 minutes a day for 14 days in a row. We're calling everyone to pray. Instead of providing you with a pre-written list of prayer requests, what we would like you to do, first as an individual, then as a couple, then as a family, and then as a small group, is to make your own list of what you need to be praying over. And the question is, what's your wall? And so there's three places you can start creating a prayer list. One, you can let us know what you are praying for on the connection card, online or in person. You could carve out a section of your journal and start writing some of these down. Or you can grab one of the prayer first journals. And in the back of the prayer first journals, there is a page for personal prayer requests. And I want to challenge each person here right now, physically, in writing, to write down one prayer request. One wall. What is the thing that is breaking your heart right now? What is the thing that you're responsible for that seems too big for you to handle alone? What is the need that's out there that you would love God to meet and the reason we're not providing a pre-written list of prayers is because for every single one of us, our walls are different. Nehemiah saw that the walls of Jerusalem had broken down, and he, the cupbearer, thought, what can I do about it? Nothing. But with God, we can get this done. We can help solve this problem. We can lead this nation. And maybe God is calling you to do something that you never thought you would be able to do. What's your wall? Maybe for, for you, like me, the wall is like we want to multiply and, and grow and build the church. And, and we, we've got to figure out how to multiply churches and, and make literal walls bigger because this isn't big enough. But maybe your wall is just simply getting food on the table tonight or tomorrow. Maybe, maybe your wall is running that business. So as I'm talking, go ahead and write down something, what, what God has on your heart. Some of you might have no idea what to write down. Some of you know exactly what your wall is. And I would venture to guess we all have that. Maybe you're parenting some kids and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> Newborn baby just got born. I don't know, this is a pretty big wall. What's your wall? Write it down in one of those three places on the prayer first guide in your journal or on the prayer card. The fourth place we're going to be compiling a wall list is online. And over the next 24 hours, we're going to send something out uh, via email posted on uh, social media, and it's going to give you a link to our prayer wall on our website. And we are going to populate that prayer wall with requests. And if you would like your request to be public, you can put that on the prayer wall, and we as a church will continually point people to that wall and pray over the things that are there. When you look out to tomorrow, to next week, to next month, if God could invade and do something only he could do, what would you ask him to do? That's your wall. Let's pray over this together. God and Heavenly Father, this morning we, we got our, our calling Branch Life Church to prayer.
Over the next 14 days, we want to spend at least 14 minutes a day in personal family prayer with you. God, would you help us to be able to do this? God, would you even now bring to our minds, the forefront of our thoughts, what you would have us each individually to be praying for? God, would you, would you allow us to be able to take the thing that we thought was impossible, the challenge that causes us that anxiety, that worry or concern, that need, that responsibility that we have, and lay it at the throne? Because we, God, recognize today, like every great leader does, that, God, we are powerless without you, that we can do nothing without you. And God, we need you. Every hour, we need you. So Lord, as we take these requests today and we build on these lists and we recognize and, and look at the walls that we all have, from the youngest student, Lord, to the teenagers, to the single adults, to the parents and grandparents, God, would you do what only you could do in each of our lives? And when we look back, God, will you have done something that only you could get the credit for? And God, we can't wait to see how you will move through all of the leaders present here in this room. In your, in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Hey guys, I hope that that was an encouragement to you. I hope that the quality we talked about today will help you be a better leader tomorrow. And before you log off, we'd love to connect with you. The best way to do that is to go to branchlife.church and check in. You can also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel or to follow us online. Wherever you are connected, we'd love to connect with you. We hope to see you next time as we dive deeper into leadership. Have a great rest of your day.